Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Spirit of Horse. My name is Mosey Truitt, and this is the fourth time I am recording this intro. Hello. Um, I, I'm sure this will be the take. I, I just know it. Uh, how is everyone? I hope everyone is having a wonderful week, and uh, this episode is coming out actually on time, so I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm also really stoked because this week I had a really incredible guest on the show, someone who I've been wanting to talk to for a really long time, who I really admire the work of. And um, yeah, I'm just thrilled that I got to speak with her. I feel like I'm still on a high from the conversation and I can't wait to share it with you guys. So this week I talked with Adele Shaw, who you might know as the Willing Equin. You might know her Instagram account or her blog or, you know, all the things online. She's really an incredible and influential trainer that I really admire. Adele is a trainer, a blogger, um, and a clinician specializing in rehabilitation and connecting humans and horses through positive and science-based approach to horse training and care. I love her (laughs) and I love her methods. Um, I love what she shares. She has so much content and so much information out there that she just shares with the world for uh, horses and humans that really, really can help, I think, so many people um, bridge the gap between traditional training and getting into maybe a more positive reinforcement-based training. In the episode, we talk about her approach and how she got to this training and Really what I love about this episode uh, is that we talk about bridging that gap between, you know, traditional riding or traditional training and, um, you know, diving into the science-based sort of training and how it doesn't have to be this all or nothing jump that I think really intimidates or can be really intimidating to a lot of people thinking that, you know, if you want to do liberty, you have to give up everything you've ever done. I think she does such a good job of making the information accessible and um, very grounded, like actual steps you can take versus kind of staying up in the philosophy of it. So because of that, I just think that her work is so important. And um, yeah, the talk, I just had like such a good time talking to her and I'm excited for you guys to hear everything she has to say. So I think we should just jump right in. same boat <laughs> and I like echoey floors and I'm like I don't want anything yeah. on them <laughs> people uh will come to my house are like oh so how long have you lived here I'm like years and they're like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> you're like I just don't want that much stuff I know I don't want to take care of it <laughs> I know it's really like the burden of it like anytime yeah. you have to get rid of something like mm-hmm. oh I, I feel that way even just with like trash like it's like part of my motivation to want to go more like zero waste is just because I don't want to like necessarily take the trash out (laughs) (laughs) it's a good good motivator for zero waste no trash taking out (laughs) it's kind of like my closet too I was like I don't really want to do laundry (laughs) 
That that too. I'm I actually have a like a capsule wardrobe minimalist thing because I don't want to do laundry and I don't want to go shopping and I just want to have what I like and then that's it. Yes. Oh my. Uh, yes. I have a cats a capsule wardrobe too. And it's also so much easier to get dressed. Like it is. It is. Oh, I don't want the options. I want to know <laughs> I like it. <laughs> exactly. And then it fits and it looks good. Well, I'm so so excited. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to you actually for. A long time. You were on my initial list for the podcast oh. of people I wanted to talk to. I feel honored. <laughs> um, and so I guess for people who don't uh, know, if you don't mind like jumping in, uh, I would love you to kind of explain who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, man, that is a big question. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for people who don't know me, my name is Adele, Adele Shaw. And um, um, I guess you could say I'm a horse trainer, but I feel like that's such a restricted title and it could mean so many different things. And I tend to not use that term very much because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like when people say the word horse trainer, it tends to bring to mind a certain type of, a certain type of person and a certain type of thing that you do. And for me, well, I guess to put it simply, I kind of, approach working with horses from a whole horse perspective. So we go emotional, mental, physical, you know, health, everything, we address everything. And so when people, um, so I, when people bring me horses, you know, I look at everything and I bring in a bunch of different professionals to work on the same horse with me and we all address it. But that's kind of, um, uh, in a real simplified form, but I also, have a big social media platform with YouTube and Instagram and a big website. And I teach long distance lessons and, um, and I'm a blogger. So I write a lot, uh, a lot, a lot actually. And, uh, I don't know. I do so much. It's hard to define exactly what it is I do because there's so many different areas, uh, that I try and spread information. I guess my main focus is spreading information. It's helping out horse owners, help their horses and reconnect with their horses and to really establish, um, a better relationship with their horse in as many, however I can help them to do that. So it's kind of a basis of my focus, which brought me into the world of positive reinforcement and, um, working at Liberty with horses and, um, as well as really diving into a, um, different alternative approaches to horse health and as well as more modern approaches as well. So integrative medicine and, um, you know, we, I keep going. So there's diet, nutrition, uh, you know, shod versus barefoot, all this different stuff that I dive into. I've got my fingers and everything. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a basic, a basic overview. I really like that. Cause it is so hard to like explain all, you know, everything that like, I think we're, we're so much more in general as people than what we quote unquote do. Um, yeah. I must say, you are an amazing um, spreader of information because every time I'm feeling like, man, I'm not getting enough out there for spreading the word, I look at your account and I'm like, well, she is. So like, (laughs) there's a place for people to go and I'm really happy because I'm like, like anytime I feel like I'm slacking on on sharing information, I'm just so grateful that um, 
there's people like you and, you know, people like me too, but, um, your account is just so filled with, um, like really practical information that I think helps so many. That's, that's kind of where I was going to go as you started talking. I was like, my focus is really to provide people with such a practical look at how they can make a difference in their horses' lives and, and their lives. I mean, this doesn't just about the horse, it's about their relationship with the horse and um, what that can do for them as well. So it's a little bit selfish too, <laughs> because you get back what you give basically when it comes to horses. And that's, you know, we can talk and big fancy words or, or romantic talk or idealist talk, but like how, what does that look like every day? What does that yeah. look like when you're at a boarding barn and you've got, you know, negative Nancy's sitting on the fence rail? Like <laughs> what does that look like for my everyday equestrian who just wants to know, you know, how to help their horse to stop pawing when on the cross ties? Like, what do you do? You know? Yes. I love that. Like, I am seriously like, I'm like cheering. Cause I'm like, I love that about your account so much. Cause it is easy to kind of, you know, go into like the idealism world, which I am like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed idealist anyway. And, um, I think I like kind of ride that line yeah. and, um, seeing it brought down to this really grounded, really like um, practical place, I think is so beneficial because like you, you and I messaged back and forth a little bit about, you know, how do people start? And I think that's kind of the, um, that's one of the things that's, I think difficult is when someone is at a regular barn and they've been doing, you know, this type of horsemanship all their lives and they want to switch it up and, you know, where do you actually practically start? Cause you might want to start, you know, you're thinking differently, you know what you want to do, but like actually making it happen is kind of yeah. where I think you share so much good information. And I would love to kind of get into that actually about for people who are, um, you know, in that situation and trying to make a shift, how do you, how do you recommend people start? Well, to, you know, I think it's really easy to get on social media and even watching movies, you know, we watch things like the black stallion or whatever, and we see people <laughs> riding along beaches, tactless, and it's all beautiful and gorgeous, which is amazing. And we all want to be there and doing that. I mean, I want to ride on the beach so badly right now, actually. <laughs> and, um, but you know, if you're, you're, you're so immersed into the average, not average, I wouldn't say average, but just an everyday horsemanship, modern horsemanship world where we're at boarding barns and we have trainers and we're going to shows and things like that, which there's nothing wrong with all of that. It's, you can watch, you know, the, the Liberty videos and all this, and you're just like, okay, that's nice. Mm -hmm. But then how do, how do I deal with over here? Or, or what can happen is, is you get, somebody who's trying to do that. So they'll go and have their time with their horse in the arena doing at Liberty, but then they walk their horse back to the barn and it goes all back to the same stuff. So mm -hmm. it, it doesn't, 
it can make you, you and the horse feel better in those few moments, but how do you know, we need to be able to carry that over to the rest of our relationship with the horse. And so I, uh, my biggest recommendation to people and how I kind of approach that is, is let's find a really basic something simple, something that you can both do without frustrating yourselves that will also make your, both your lives just a little bit easier. So let's say your horse, you know, it's just a thorn in your side that your horse won't get into a trailer. Well, let's just start there. Let's just start that. And let's start addressing that aspect of your relationship with your horse. And when we can start alleviating that frustration that you feel every time you go to walk your horse into that trailer, it will start improving your relationship. And that can be a stepping stone to get you to the next step, which is, okay, well now my horse is refusing jumps and before, you know, I would kick a little harder, but what would be a different answer? How could we address this a little bit differently where my horse won't be experiencing um, the same emotions it was experiencing before? So, you know, I wanna work in stepping stones. So where can we get, you know, practical application every day in your life right now, what can we do and then start building on that and expanding and getting bigger and to the point where you're living the idealist type uh, relationship with your horse, but sometimes isn't always practical or understandable for people to just all of a sudden wake up one morning and be like, I'm never, you know, ever going to put a halter on my horse again or anything like that. And um, so that's kind of where when people approach me and ask, you know, I want to have a better relationship with my horse. I'm like, okay, let's, let's narrow down some of the frustrations you guys are having and let's address those first and let's really find practical ways to address them in a low stress, positive way where you both can feel happier together and then let's build on that. Um, and then we can get to the at Liberty work and we can get to the, um, my horse, you know, your horse will start running to you when you come to the pasture in the morning. I mean, that tends to be a, it just happens. I mean, I have mm -hmm. a horse with me right now where she was dealing with a lot of separation anxiety and she, you couldn't catch her from the pasture at all. And people ask me, you know, how did you fix that? Well, I actually didn't directly fix that. I didn't directly address that. I should say I started just working with her in a low stress, positive way. And that changed that just over like almost overnight it seemed like it happened in a couple of days she was coming up to the fence to greet me she didn't mind leaving her buddies in the pasture she was like working with this human is fantastic i you know all those other issues aren't an issue anymore so that's kind of um sometimes just starting with baby steps and then building on it will just start it just starts um I can't even think of the word, but it starts bleeding into other areas and you start realizing your relationship is improving just from those few things that you're doing with your horse. Yeah. I, I really love all of that on, um, many, many different fronts. I think that what I also particularly love about this approach is I think there is kind of that feeling out there. And I think when I first started doing Liberty, this was how it was for me. It was like, I kind of hit a breaking point and then I was like, okay, it's all or nothing. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to take everything off. And if we can't do it, then, um, without force or pressure, then we're not doing it. And it was this kind of like pretty dramatic, like 
all or nothing kind of, um, like a cold Turkey. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, but that wasn't easy. And I think that, you know, for most people, it's probably a lot more approachable when you can just start to improve in these little areas and you don't have to get rid of all of the training you've been doing at once. And it's not this decision of, okay, well, if I do Liberty, then I'm never going to be able to do any of this stuff again that we've already done. And I like your approach of that, of like coming in and instead like looking at these little aspects and letting that bleed over and and slowly change. Would you say that that is kind of um, like, is that what you mean? Yeah. So because I do know other questions like yourself that have basically cold turkey, like it's all or nothing. And, um, but for me being a very, uh, I explained myself, I'm very type A and I'm very driven and goal oriented. The idea of just taking off that halter and never putting it back on kind of thing, you know, in just that mental image, not so much necessarily that's the case, but mm-hmm. is that was just impossible for me to put it simply. Like I couldn't wrap my head around that idea. How would I accomplish anything? How would I ever, why do I even have a horse if I can't do anything with it? And it was just this totally appalling idea to be able to do that. So for me in my type of personality and for a lot of the people that come to me, um, I think for them, it's a, it's very scary. That idea is really scary. Uh, you know, how am I ever going to get anywhere? This horse is just going to sit and eat grass and never come to me and never want to do anything with me ever again. So why would I do that? Why would I release control and then never see my horse again, basically, is kind of what this mental image have in their brain. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you're not ready for that yet. That's okay. Let's start here. Let's start on a smaller piece. Let's take a little bite size. And I'm pretty much banking on the fact that they're going to become just as addicted to it as I was and am. (laughs) So, you know, you take a little bite and you're like, oh, this is fun. And then you keep going and it just kind of starts compounding on itself and becoming this amazing transformation in your relationship with the horse that doesn't happen overnight. Actually, I'd say for me, I'd say for me, it's still happening, but the process from going from realizing that I wanted to start improving my relationship with my horse and using positive reinforcement and stuff to my very first horse where I said, I am absolutely giving you full control and, and going to let you say no, no matter what that means. Mm -hmm. I, I think it probably took like a year and a half or more, like it, it, it took time. It took time for me to wrap my head around that idea. And the fact that if I let my horse say no, they would eventually say yes, but that did not happen right away. And I don't think it happens right away for a lot of people that they're able to really understand that and be okay with that. Um, and that's okay. I think that, I think that's normal and I think you can still get there. You just need a little bit more time if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And I, I really love that. Like, I feel like this is a perspective that is so important and is honestly more, um, aligned with where I am now versus where I started. Um, Mm -hmm. because like, even for me, when I, 
you know, when I did go, go cold Turkey, like I had no idea what I was doing. And like, it took like, it was a long time of just like mistakes and mistakes and mistakes and like not, um, having any clue and honestly feeling quite lost. Um, and also not fully, like I had the idea that I wanted to give my horse freedom, but I didn't really understand what that meant even, you know, when I, when I started and I think having, like a gentler process into it is just so valuable and it it makes me curious like how did you start like did you already have horses and then um you heard about positive reinforcement and learning theory and kind of you started to dive into that or did you um were you already doing that with like another animal or like how did you yeah (laughs) so I will try and keep the story not so long, but, you know, because I have a long history with horses, um, really quick, you know, I started ev- like every other buddy did every other, buddy. I started like everybody else probably did, which is, you know, summer camps, you know, I started around eight, nine years old, started taking lessons. I rode hunter jumper and dressage for a long time. I was very competitive. I mean, very competitive. I had imported horses. I had, um, you know, I was going to do the national junior young riders and I, I was fully submerged into the very competitive, very modern, very, um, <laughs> I will admit this and I, cause I've openly admitted it before, but, and I have photos and videos and I'm, <sighs> part of me wants to burn them, but I know I need them for proof. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I rode in with double bridles and, and a, a whip and huge spurs and in hyperflexion and rocker. And um, I had one warm blood at one time where um, I would ride in, with leather gloves and they were nice leather gloves. And he would pull on me so hard as I forced him into hyperflexion and held him there for collection, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he would rip holes, the reins would rip holes in my gloves probably every other week. I'd have to get a new pair of gloves um, and my arms and my body and everything would ache. And it, and everybody's like, you need to hold him tighter. You're not strong enough. You need to hold him into mm-hmm. collection. And anyway, I, that horse, long story short, he was, that was the beginning of the end for him. He experienced so much trauma at the hands of humans that he ends up having to be put down. Um, that kind of started my push into a more classical dressage approach to the horse development. So that's kind of that aspect in my life, as well as a um, alternative approach to some medical things. Um, I got into using acupuncture and um, um, osteopathy or osteopathic work and uh, massage work and all these things I started using with my horses because of him and I saw the results with him. So that was kind of the beginning of that aspect of what I do with horses. And then, um, I had a couple more horses in between. There's long stories there too, but I'll skip over those. Uh, at some point my family and I decided we just wanted some recreational trail horses. We were just going to give up the show world for a little while. We were going to get some recreational horses and which is laughable because I don't do anything recreationally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an all or nothing person. So, um, and, uh, so I got these horses and one of them was supposed to be a 
you know, kids safe, husband safe, you know, whatever horse. And that's my, my mare tiger. And, um, I have a very distinct memory of sitting in the middle of the arena on her back, bawling my eyes out because I didn't know what I was going to do with this horse. I had bought myself a kid safe, husband safe horse that couldn't be caught without being lassoed out of the pasture. She, it would take hours to catch her. She was terrified of humans, terrified of being touched. She would run mad in the round pen. She would buck and rear under saddle, um, really violently and very dangerous and bolt as well. Um, they had ruined her mouth with a bit, like you couldn't put a bit in her mouth. Uh, it was just, it was a nightmare. And I had been trying for at least a year and a half with her to fix, to fix her. And it wasn't working. I, I also have you know, a lot of natural, more uh, traditional natural horsemanship backgrounds with more pressure and release work and stuff. And, um, it wasn't working with her and I was like, you know what? And at this point I was actually professionally dog training. Um, and I was, when my profession, my dog training, I was using, um, all positive reinforcement and clicker training. So I already had that awareness of what it was, but for some reason it never occurred to me that I could use it with horses. I don't know why it never occurred to me, but it, I think that's pretty common. I actually yeah. get a lot of dog trainers email me or call me and they're like, you know what? I don't know why I never thought of doing this with my horse. I feel really dumb now. And I'm like, it's okay. I was there too. Yeah. We're just told for, for whatever reason, it's just ingrained into us that it, it's not possible with horses. I mean, yeah. we can use with every other animal, but not horses. <laughs> I, yeah. It, it's such a strong belief system that's put in there. Like it doesn't yeah. even have to say specifically like clicker training. It's, it's just like, there's one way to work with horses. Yeah. And I don't get it. I mean, I do, I understand it. I understand why it's happened, but at the same time now I don't get it. But, uh, so yeah, so I was at that point I had been actually think, think, you baby Jesus for Instagram basically, which, um, cause I got connected with some other people that said that encouraged me to give it a try. And I said, at this point, you know, this horse is already so damaged and ruined. I can't damage her anymore than she already <laughs> is. So let's give it a try. Like I can't ruin this horse any more than she already is. So <laughs> why not? <laughs> like I mess her up. Well, you know, <laughs> it's a good place to start. It's like, yeah, it's a good place. The bottom is a good place to start. Yeah. So <laughs> you can only go up. Right. Um, yeah. So she was my big leap into this big change in the way I worked with horses and, um, in the beginning, I just worked with her. Actually, I had four horses at the time and I continued to train the, the other ones how I had been training and only started the clicker training with this mare because I only wanted to ruin one horse if I was going to do it. <laughs> um, and I actually, I don't think this is really common. I haven't really talked about this. I probably should write a blog post about it, but actually got about three months in mm -hmm. and gave up. I threw up my hands and said I had actually ruined this horse even more <laughs> um, and I decided it wasn't for us and it wasn't going to work for her and 
uh, because she had become, there were things that were better. She was more responsive. She was learning quicker, but she was frantic. I don't know how else to explain it except for that she could never settle while she was around me. It had actually, her stress levels had increased. And what I didn't realize at the time was that I was dealing with a lot of food anxiety and I was still trying to micromanage her and I still wasn't giving her a choice in what she was doing. So now we were doing everything we were doing before, but adding a food reward to it and a clicker. So I was still training very much with negative reinforcement and all of that. And then just adding the click and the food afterwards. And that was that's a very common thing to do when you're first getting started, you know, working with clicker training and positive reinforcement with horses. It's very easy to uh, intentionally or unintentionally combine. And there's people who do it very, very well. But for this particular mare, it was causing even more stress because now she had all the stress from before, but she wants the food. So it was actually creating a bigger mess um, and so I actually gave it up for about, I think it was about two months. And then I had somebody really, a friend of mine, she really encouraged me. She's like, you know, I think maybe you weren't doing it right. <laughs> She's like, I think you should seek some help and give it another try. And so I did. And I have never looked back. Like once I got my, the help I needed and once I really understood that, um, that there was more to it than just adding a click and, a f and food afterwards, mm -hmm. that there was more about building the relationship, that there was more about giving the horse a choice and, and giving them control over the outcome. And it wasn't about, you know, how powerful the food was and how awesome the click was. It was just about creating this new communication level with this animal. Once I started recognizing that, I was able to undo the mistakes I had done and then open up just a whole bunch of new doors. And, um, this marriage, she's like, she's my heart horse. She, uh, she's taught me so much and we really match up really well, but, um, she has been a huge learning curve for me and she has changed everything for me. I think we all need those horses in our lives. The ones that say, I know you thought, you know, it knew everything, but <laughs> So those humbling horses, man, I love that story. I love that, that you shared that because it just got me thinking so often, um, how people run into the, that frantic, um, place with their horse. Yeah. I've definitely mm -hmm. seen tons of people who have started positive reinforcement and have said, now my horse is just like crazy when they're around me. They only want the food. They, you know, all these different things that I think frantic is a really good word. Um, so I'm really curious for you, like what, when you got the help that you needed, what changed? Like, what were you doing differently that now you, now that you, you do? Um, so the process, it didn't happen right away. It's been a long well, I tell you every day I'm learning something new, so I can't tell you exactly when I learned what. It's hard to remember exactly. But compared to from the beginning, from what I'm doing now, um, th it, there's a lot that's different. So 
I mentioned that in the beginning, it was very much that I was continuing to do what I had done before, which was at a core level, still controlling the horse. If she got the wrong answer, I would kind of either move her body or push her into place. So I was still using quite a bit of pressure. And then um, if she didn't get the right answer, you know, I would withhold the food. So then she was experiencing um, negative punishment. So she, you know, she, cause she couldn't get, get the food cause she didn't get the right answer. And she was getting frustrated by that. Um, I was still very much focused on, I was still very goal oriented and making sure that I kind of, my goals were achieved and that she was doing what I wanted. And, um, that, that, uh, that everything was done just right. And, you know, on this timeline and we were training for way too long with way too high of expectations. And we were doing what's called lumping, which was, I was making huge leaps and bounds in the training. So, you know, she could touch the target one time. That means she can touch it 10 times, right? Like it should jump like that. Uh, Whereas now (laughs) I've learned a lot more and, um, I I want the horse to feel comfortable with saying no and to know that if they don't get the, you know, well, I work with, I guess I should say, so I always provide other food sources for the horse. So, you know, I try not to work them in a dry lot or if I, if I am in a dry lot, then I'll have hay available or something. And then whatever food I'm working with needs to be so low value that it's almost the same as the hay. So Mm -hmm. that if the horse doesn't really want to do what it is, I want them to do. They just kind of go over to the hay. It's not a big deal. They're just, okay, lady, you're crazy. I'm leaving now. (laughs) Um, And then also my attitude has dramatically changed as far as I low, like even, even, I don't know if the word energy is right, but just my body language and how I feel about the training setups and situations, I don't go into it with such high expectations and and these goals that I want to achieve, I go into it with, I want to communicate with this horse today. I would like to work on this today, but let's see where the horse is at. And then let's go from there. And I want to set the horse up for success in such a way that the horse is almost consistently hearing yes, 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 yes from me. So there's never even that doubt in the horse's mind that they're getting something wrong. They're always hearing yes from me. They're always comfortable and confident in my presence. They know that it's fun and exciting. They know that, that they're not going to be frustrated and the food's not going to be withheld from them, that they've got other options available to them. Um, and that there's not this underlying or else actually I'm in the middle of writing a blog post about this, this underlying or else to the whole training, um, whether you're training with negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement, or anything else. Um, if our mentality is horse, I need you to do this, or I'm going to resort to something else. Even Mm -hmm. if it's, even if it's extremely subconscious, like even if we don't even realize it, but we're doing it, that, that just sends a message to the horse. They don't have a choice. Um, you, 
you touch this cone or you don't get food. You, you know, you make this circle or I'm going to add more pressure. Um, you, you, you know, you lift up this foot you know, voluntarily, supposedly, but if you don't, I'm actually going to, you know, I'm going to kind of move my body in such a way or squeeze a little harder or give the cue a little bit firmer. Um, you know, that's the, or else, or, you know, I say trot on and if the horse doesn't do it, I say it a little bit firmer or I say it a little bit louder, yeah. still an, or else, you know, there's still more coming. You, you either do it or, or else kind of thing. Um, but so that mentality has really changed for me and that has been a long road to get there. I don't want that or else to be there in my training, but I won't lie and say it doesn't sneak in every once in a while. <laughs> I still, I'm still like, okay, we really need to practice trail loading today. And then I'll get halfway through and I'm like, okay, Adele, peace, <laughs> you know, <laughs> down. It's okay if we don't get there today. Let's just work with where the horse is at. They need to have a choice. I don't have to remind myself all the time. Um, so it's definitely a work in progress for me. Um, and I think everybody should always be a work in progress. I'm always, I always tell people, if you're ever not a work in progress, there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but, I love, I'm, I keep saying like, I love that. I love that. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> it's just so nice to hear. And I just, I just love it. Um, yeah, that, um, you know, cause we're so used to in the horse world escalating, especially with yeah. pressure. Like that's just kind of what we've been doing. So rewiring that just almost like reaction, like you said, like subconsciously, um, to giving a real choice. I, I know for me, like, it's definitely not like done. Like I'm definitely still have to remind myself about it all the time because it's so easy to even just accidentally like ask again in a, in a slightly like more, yeah. not even, even if you don't think it's forceful, just in, in, in a more kind of way. Um, well, and it really depends on the horse too, because there are certain horses that just asking again is a threat to them. Yeah. Um, they, it's what the horse perceives. It's, you know, you can think you're doing one thing all you want, but if the horse finds it to be, you know, aversive, you know, scary, frightening, threatening, it, that's what it is. I mean, if, yeah. if that's what they think it is, that's what it is. So, um, you know, one horse that's very like my, my Philly, uh, river who's two, she's a very bold and confident little girl. And, um, she has never known a hard word in her life. She's never, I think one time I had to resort to some pressure and release for her to get her in a trailer in an emergency. And she looked at me like I was stupid. She's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, this is not how we work. And it wasn't this for her there's not a whole lot that will have that or else feeling to her yeah. because she's never known that. Whereas, you know, my, my mare tiger that I mentioned earlier, I mean, even if I move my body too quickly or too, um, too aggressively towards her, or if I ask again, or if I push just a little bit or pull a little bit harder on her halter, and I'm talking like, a finger's touch worth yeah. that that's enough. That's for her. That's enough to send her into, Oh my gosh, don't hurt me. So 
it really depends on the horse you're working with too, what they tell you is an or else. Um, and that, that has a lot to do with, <laughs> that's a lot of what I get kind of paid and asked for, you know, help with is trying to figure out how far back we need to take everything. Cause for some horses, it's, we can't even be in the same pen with them without them feeling that pressure from us. Um, and we have to step outside of the pen and start working there before we can go back in and them feeling comfortable with us. Um, yes. Yes. I, oh my God. I just, I so agree. Um, I do. I think it's, um, interesting too, because so many of the horses that, you know, an or else comes up for are the horses that have been in training where choice isn't a thing. So we can be thinking that we're giving them a choice, but if they're not comprehending that it's a real choice, um, Mm -hmm. I find that like really interesting in the beginning because we can say even that we're taking off all the ropes, we can say we're giving them pressure and maybe, or free from freedom from pressure. And we can completely believe that and we know, but if they don't know, and we're not proving that to them that they can say no and they haven't been able to test out a no with no negative consequences, then, you know, it hasn't changed for them. Yeah, I agree. And, and even something as simple as how large of a pen you're working in can have an impact as well. I mean, you know, if your horse is in a stall, let's say, or a, or in a smaller sized turnout and you walk towards the stall or the pen, I know this is taking it really far back and some people will, <laughs> will feel like this is too much, but, uh, some horses, if they're that worried about people, that's, and they feel trapped. If they feel trapped in that situation and they cannot get away, that could be too much for them. And that, that fence line could almost act as, you know, a lack of choice for them. Well, it does in a lot of situations. They have to know in the, with those types of horses, we have to be in a large enough area that they can comfortably get far enough away from us that they can have that choice to get that far enough away from us if they needed to. Um, it really just depends on the horse and what you're working with. Because, you know, bringing it back to my filly, I don't care if we're on a million acres, she's right up in my face and (laughs) there's no such thing as pressure to her. She's like, let me put, you know, my whole body on you. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe (laughs) space, but, um, but some horses that's just, you know, we want to run up and cuddle them and love them and tell them how much we love them when in reality, telling them how much we love them may be staying far, far away <laughs> for now. For until now, we yeah. Can, until we can work up to something else. Um, but yeah, we have to really read the horse. We have to uh, let the horse tell us where they're comfortable and where we have to be for them to be able to maintain choice in the situation. I love the individuality of that too, because I think there's, you know, a lot of training methods kind of are, um, packaged as like a one size fits all horses. And it's just so different. And Mm -hmm. I like to think of positive reinforcement and and also just like learning theory, because it can have, you know, all the different quadrants in it, but, um, being much more of a language than being, um, like a sentence that you say, like, you know, it's a language that you can use to communicate with the horse and make different 
you know, different conversations with all different horses of different backgrounds instead of like a one method that's going to fit everyone. Absolutely. That was, that was a big change for me. Um, because I went from just thinking horse training was horse training and there was these different methods. Um, you know, you can probably think of at least two or three big ones off the top of your head, uh, that I won't name names, but, um, so it's, so these very big named methods, I kind of thought there were those. And then there was just like your average everyday horse training, but it never even occurred to me that there was a, like, how did those methods work? Like they were all very, they were all variations of this language. So, you know, we've got, you know, so learning theory, we've got operant conditioning, classical conditioning, all these different things. And there's more than that, but, um, those methods are just a single, like they're, they're a small area of the, they're like, I don't know how to explain it. They're operating within a language. So yeah, they're not separate from, they're just operating within. And then, um, so I, I started learning about clicker training and all that. And it's to me at the time, it was like, it was another method. But then when it started dawning on me, that it's not actually a method, it's just a different use of language, or I don't even know if I'm making sense. But once I started studying learning theory and how horses learned and why all these different methods worked and why clicker training works. And, um, I don't even like using the term clicker training all that much because it can there's so there's like a sliding scale within that term. Mm -hmm. And really all it means is that you're using the, the tool, a clicker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but, and people tend to think of it, like I mentioned as a method, but it's not really a method. The clicker is just a tool. And then, and it tends to operate with positive reinforcement, but how you use that is like your language with your horse. And, um, and all these other methods, they operate within the same realm. It's just a different aspect of it. And they're using a different side of the language. Um, I don't, yeah, it's, it's very complex. But once I started really diving into it and understanding it and understanding how horses learned and understanding how when I was interacting with my horses, I was using this language that started opening up a whole new set of doors for me and made so much more sense. And I could start watching these trainers work in, I could turn off the volume. I could turn off their fancy words. I could turn off the, you know, what they were saying and I could just watch and I could watch and see the language that was happening between the horse and the human in, in reality, not just what they were telling me was happening. Um, and that, that was just, really eye-opening for me, Uh, opened up a whole new world, really. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. I, yes, I feel like that I had the same, the same exact realization. I think everything you said was just like so spot on because that I felt the same way. Like when I found positive reinforcement training, I totally felt like it was just another method like the way Mm -hmm. that natural horsemanship might be a method or like traditional horsemanship and to study learning theory completely gives you the why everything is working and it's no longer method and method and method. It's like, how are we speaking? Um, and, and yeah, I just, I think if I could share and have people understand 
something about like the training, quote unquote training that I do or that everyone does, that is what I'd want to share is like that we're not just like jumping around methods. It's like, what is the underlying current of why everything works? And it's how we learn. And, um, and yeah, it makes it that everything I thought before to be kind of like mystical, Mm -hmm. you know, is not, (laughs) and not in a bad way because horses are still mystical. And I still totally love like, you know, the relationship is that kind of mystical, magical aspect. But as far as training goes, it doesn't have to be that there's like this mystical, um, reason why like dominance works or why like clicker training works or, you know, all these different methods we have. It's all very, um, it's very understandable once you kind of dive in and it can be complex, but I think that also once you kind of research it a little bit and get more in tune with it, um, it's so much easier to see. Uh, yeah, I don't think the 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 learning theory itself is so complex as it is the breaking apart why all the different training works and how it works and how the horse perceives the different types of training and like that part where you yeah. go deeper into it the very, the very surface level of it is very quick and easy to understand. I can usually walk people through that pretty quick. It's the breaking it down. And when you're watching a trainer work with a horse, what are they actually, what language are they actually using with the horse in that very second? Like it can even change, you know, one second they're using positive reinforcement. The next they're using negative reinforcement. Sometimes they're using both, you know, it's, um, And one of the big confusing things that happens is the difference between negative reinforcement and positive punishment. Um, I don't think people realize how quickly and how often negative reinforcement can escalate to the point where it is positive punishment or what was previously being used as negative reinforcement is currently being used as positive punishment. And it has everything to do with the context of what's happening how it's being used and how the horse is perceiving the situation. So that's the part that starts to get more complex is when you're analyzing what it is you're watching and you're trying, you're trying to see truth and not just, you know, believe what you want to believe or what somebody's told you to believe. It's when you're really breaking it down and looking at it honestly in black and white. Yes. That's the part that gets a little bit, it can get, it can get uh, fuzzy sometimes. I've even gotten, I still get into conversations with people and I'm like, it's this. And they're like, no, it's not, it's this. And I'm like, no, but I'm really sure it's this. (laughs) So at the end of the day, the horses who tells us what it is they're experiencing, um, in that moment. So I've learned to really trust what my horse is saying to me versus listening to what I think should be happening or what the method says I should be doing or, what, um, even just myself, what, what it is I want to be accomplishing that day. If I can just, I feel like it's a good day. If I can step back and really watch the situation almost as if like a third person and watch myself like an out of body experience working with this horse and, and being very careful to observe the horse and observe what it is they're communicating to me. I mean, subtle calming signals and, this, their emotions in that moment, um, as I'm working with them, I feel like it's, I'm doing really good. If I can be in that frame of mind when I'm working with my horses and let them tell me what's going on. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, that shift in mindset was the biggest for me from, um, just being in my own experience to really, really looking at how is the horse experiencing this, um, in a way that wasn't, you know, I think it takes a lot of courage to do that because I, I remember being like in the beginning and I wanted to give a, you know, get rid of pressure and everything that came from like a year of basically asking things of Annie, my horse and like, not like not wanting to hear what she was actually saying. And it was becoming harder and harder to ignore, you know, what her actual feelings were. But, Mm -hmm. um, but that was hard because I, I also was going to take it so personally, you know, like her not enjoying the training or not wanting to be with me in a certain way felt very much like I wasn't good enough or that I was, you know, losing my best friend or something like that. And, um, and it's so easy to get frustrated and take it out on the horse in yeah. those moments. <laughs> oh, so easy. So easy. Um, so that's why it was like, a you know, kind of a rocky start of trying to like build up the courage to really look and ask, like ask Annie the actual questions. Like in the beginning I was asking, do you actually want to ride with me? And I was getting a no. Oh that is the hardest question <laughs> because I love to ride and I love trail riding and I love competing and, and I have one mare. I, I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to ask you if you want to be ridden every day. And just like you, it was a no for a long time. And that was devastating. It was emotionally very traumatic for me. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't like being ridden. I'm the best. (laughs) Oh yeah. It hurt. It really hurt. Like when, because I also thought with Annie, like her saying no to riding, I thought was going to be a forever thing. I thought she was yeah. saying no. And it took me a long time to build up the courage to even ask the question. Cause I didn't want to know the answer. Yeah. And I yeah. get that like from like, I've had different clients and things, um, like really brave clients ask or tell me like that they feel like this is what their horse is saying and that they don't know what to do with that answer. Cause it breaks their heart a little bit. And, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I think what I've also gotten from seeing you is that the, and also with my own experience is that the no now doesn't have to be a no forever and that they can have full choice and still say yes. Oh, absolutely. I think with, I think the more we allow them to say no, the more likely they are later on to say yes. And then they'll start saying yes all the time. And then you'll wish they stopped saying, they would stop saying yes, because sometimes <laughs> people are like, okay, this is great. She's saying yes all the time, but now I need her to stop um, <laughs> because it's too much. So I think with, with skillful training and not in a manipulative way, but in a okay, horse, I recognize that you don't enjoy being ridden. Why don't you enjoy being ridden? What is it that is causing you to find it to be unpleasant or aversive or stressful, whatever it is? And this brings me back to the whole horse perspective to this, because when I have a horse that doesn't want to be ridden, it doesn't necessarily mean it has anything to do with me. It could be that there's pain going on in the body. They could be having arthritis. They could have a pinched something or other. They could have kissing spine. They could have, 
there's a whole slew of things that it could possibly be. So let's look at that. Let's look at the environment. What type of environment do we have this horse in? Do we have them in a completely artificial, stressful environment where, you know, whenever we go to get on and ride, it's even more stressful and, you know, we're forcing them to jump around an arena and they hate jumping or whatever it is. So we start looking at the arrangement of what's going on. And then we start saying, okay, so your tack fits, we, we can't be absolutely sure a horse isn't experiencing pain because unless we can verbally ask them and then they return verbally and say yes or no, I'm not in pain. We can't hundred percent say a horse is not in pain, but we can do as best as possible to rule out possible causes of pain. And then, then we can, and then we can change the environment. We can change the setup and then we can start approaching it from a positive training experience where we say, okay, horse, We've eliminated all of these possible causes. I've tried to make this as best as possible. Now what can I do from my perspective, from what, I, what I'm able to do to make this better for you? And that's where clicker training, positive reinforcement, counter, uh, counter conditioning and all of that comes in. And we can make it fun for the horse again so that they're like, yes, I want to be ridden because it's so much fun and we can have this enjoyable experience together. You as a human can be satisfied. I as a horse can be satisfied and we can do this together versus you just taking advantage of me and making me run around the arena. <laughs> so um, that's what I love about, well, I love being able to help people with that. Mm-hmm. When they come to me and are like, my horse is just, awful under saddle and like, okay, well, let's break it down. And they tell me, well, if I tell him he, you know, if I say, if I let him say no, he will never let me ride again. I'm like, well, that's not necessarily true. We just need to change whatever it is that's making him say no. And then he'll start saying yes. And we also need to say it's okay for him to say no. But um, yeah, so that's what uh, that's the addictive part about what I do. And I love doing it. I love watching horses go from just, you know, unwilling, grumpy, just out of sorts, angry, frustrated animals that are just being used up and to, and then the humans are miserable and the horse, they don't even realize that half the times the humans, I have quite often this happens where, the human, the owner, the human has a kind of a feeling that something's off, but then once they get further down the road, they're like, I did not realize how far off we were. Like we were just not meeting up at all. I was just in this own little world of mine and the horse was not there with me, even though I thought they were. And then now I'm all the way here down the road and this is amazing. Like this is a whole different experience my eyes are wide open I'm never looking at horsemanship ever again the same and it's just an awesome experience for me and for them but for me because I love helping people get there I love to help the horses get there I love to see horses be allowed to live that kind of life with our human yeah I it you know what talking to you really gives me like such feelings of hope and I like the, um, I like the definition of hope, uh, or of power and hope coming together and it being the ability to make change. And mm-hmm. I feel like I, 
love your approach so much because it's not this like, okay, you know, everything I've done has been, is hurting the horse. And now I have to switch because I've done something bad. It's like, let's do this together and, and make a change that is so much more beneficial for everyone involved and will satisfy everyone in a way that we didn't even know we weren't being satisfied and that we don't have to give up the things that we love in order to do them in a way that we feel really good about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a, a student right now where she understands clicker training. She understands positive reinforcement. She's there. Um, but she has felt very, um, conflicted because she still wants to ride, but she doesn't feel like her horse wants to be ridden. And I've told her when I started working with her, I said, you know, we're going to let the horse dictate where we go, but I passionately feel we can get both of you on board with enjoying the riding experience. As long as there's, you know, no underlying serious problems. I think we can, I, I, I believe that I believe for most horses and humans, that's a possibility that they can achieve. I don't think this, you know, being at Liberty and, and, and positive reinforcement means giving up what we enjoy about being with our horses. Um, you know, in some cases, you know, I'm not going to lie. There are going to be some horses we just shouldn't be riding. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got horses that have so much physical trauma that it, there's no way to ride them without it being a bad experience for them. Um, but I think for a lot of horses, probably most horses, we can get we can, the horse can enjoy the relationship and the training and the experience with humans and their life with us just as much as we can with them. And that's what, that's basically my, my mission statement right there. <laughs> I, I am like, amen. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, it, that is so wonderful to hear. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, God, I'm even more in love with your work and I want everyone to go over and look at what you're doing because I think it's so wonderful. Um, it just makes me feel overall so good to hear these things because it seems like such, like it just feels like a relief to get out of a battle, you know, with other, with horses and also with other people because yeah. it's not like a us against them or, you know, mindset at all when you're, um, yeah, when you're, when you're approaching it like this and, um, yeah, I, that is definitely a big thing that people, that's a struggle, right? The, the horse world can easily become very divided. Um, I think at the heart of it, most horse people, I won't say all, but I feel like a lot of horse people, really do want the best for their horse and they yeah. really are yeah. trying to get there and they're re they have the same end goals in mind that we do. Um, and by we, I just mean collectively really all of us. <laughs> so I, I think it's counterproductive to continue to separate us from, you know, anybody positive reinforcement from the rest of the world or clicker yeah. training, um, natural horsemanship or whatever it is. I don't think that that's productive at all to say what you're doing is evil and bad just as much as we have a, you know, 
I have a, t I know at least for me, I have a tendency to feel attacked by um, people who don't agree with working with food rewards or positive mm -hmm. reinforcement. Um, and it can be a struggle sometimes for me to maintain, to remember what it was like for me before I realized what was really going on. <laughs> I kind of thought one way and then I thought another. So is that, what's that, um, quote, you know, you don't shoot, you don't know better until you do or something like that. I don't know. But, um, whatever you get my point. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> so I, I think it's in everybody's best interest to try not to separate the different methods and the categories and the, you know, from me to separate from each other and to recognize that we're all in it for the same end goal. Um, even within the positive reinforcement clicker training world, their separation. Um, yeah, yeah, I've noticed. Believe it or not, for people listening <laughs> to this podcast, there's there's a lot of separation that happens within this method, quote unquote. But um, they, um, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> happens. So the continued separating. Oh, I don't think it's beneficial for anybody to separate and to say that we're better than they are, they better, they're better than we are. But I feel like if we can all get on the same page of wanting to always learn more and wanting yes. to always try harder for the horse and to remember that even though the trainers that existed a hundred years ago or 50 years ago or whatever it is, even today that are doing they're they're doing the best they can with the information they they had or have but and we can respect them and respect what they've done and how they improve the horse world in their way and then we can build on that we can keep going um i don't think we need to get hung up in old older ways of training and older ways of working with horses and that um i think you know mutual respect for everybody to remember that we're all trying our best <laughs> to do our best for our horses. But I think if our, our focus is on the horse and what they're telling us and what they're feeling, and then we keep that in mind with the fact that we're constantly learning and constantly improving on what we've done before, I think that will all direct us towards a, um, a better way for the horse. I'm more, a better relationship with our horses. Um, even if it doesn't look exactly like what I do, if it looks a little different, that's okay. As long as you're really focused on giving the horse the best life that you can and giving them choice and giving them, um, and, and allowing them to choose to be with you and to, um, and making that relationship as positive as possible for them and not to just be pushing them through or demanding they do this or demanding they do that. Um, anyway, I'm not exactly sure where I was going with that, but. No, I freaking love all of what you just said. And I agree so, so much. Um, I think for me recently, the big shift has gone from a perspective of good and bad, you know, thinking that we're good and they're bad um, mm -hmm. which implies like a right and a wrong, mm -hmm. um, to, I think when you, when you push that off the table, you return to a compassion and 
compassion doesn't need a right or wrong. And it, you know, it strives to understand and that's understand each other. And it also is understanding the horse. And I think the more we can just focus on that, or at least for me, the more I focus on that, um, the easier everything becomes and the easier it is to do what I consider like the, the kindest thing all around. Yeah. And, and even going to the right and wrong aspects, um, I think the horse gets to decide a lot of what's right, if that makes sense. So unless it's an emergency situation where we're desperately trying to save the horse's life and it, you know, so we may have to do, you know, something that they may not enjoy or agree with at the time because, you know, they don't understand the big picture of what's going on. You know, why do we want them to get in the trailer? You know, they're terrified of the trailer, but they're bleeding out. They've got to get in the trailer. But when we're doing something like training, you know, our horse to trot under saddle or go on a trail ride, anything that's not a life or death situation, I think the horse really gets to decide what it is that they are feeling, what it is that we do, what it is that's right for them. And in that situation, um, humans, trainers, riders, equestrians, we all seem to get our, we become fixated on what it is our goals are. And then anything beyond that goal is suddenly the horse doing wrong. You know, it's, it's the horse being bad. It's the horse being disrespectful. It's the horse being, um, disobedient, whatever word you want to use, not respecting you as a leader, but this, that's all stuff that we want to do, that we enjoy, that we like, that it's really all pretty recreational at this point. There's not a whole, I mean, there's some areas of the world that horses are still needed for survival purposes. Um, but for the majority of horse owners, it's mostly recreational. Yeah. Just where, Pony Express. Yeah. So when we're training our horses, I think we sh- that's a really important concept to keep in mind is that while we need our horses to have basic understanding of how to be handled safely, it's still for our own benefits. It's still mm-hmm. for our own gain. And in those cases, I really think that the horse gets to decide, you know, how the training goes and, and what, what, um, what's good training and what's you know, bad training for them. Um, because it's not a life or death situation. It's not an emergency. It's not this, you know, somebody's gonna, um, the horse must trot under saddle or the world's ending. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) I don't, you know, hopefully that makes sense, but that kind of, I had a, a blog series recently about that, about make versus ask you know, making yeah. why, when is a time to make a horse do something? And when's the time to ask a horse do something? And when I say ask, I truly mean ask, because when you ask, the horse has to be able to say no. If they can't say no, then it's not an ask. It's actually a tell. Yes. So there are situations where you may need to make the horse do something, an emergency situation, for example, but the more majority of the time, it should be an ask. It should be a horse, will you, you know, please touch this target. And if they say no, you're like, okay. And you then go back to the drawing board. You figure out why did the horse say no? Let's see if we can figure out a way to encourage the horse to say yes. But it's not a situation where, 
oh, the horse didn't touch the target. I need to make him touch the target or else it's a fail. And that's yeah. just not, that's at least not the training that I advocate for and what I use. Um, and that doesn't, you're not giving the horse true choice if at the end of the day the horse is being forced to do whatever it is that you're asking or telling them to do. So, Amen. Like, snap, snap, snap. I love, yes, <laughs> all of that. I'm like, so passionate about that. Um, I love also your um, acknowledgement of like the discernment of when there is a time. Uh, yeah, there definitely, because I get that question often, you know, what happens if my horse is, you know, dying at the edge of the field? Well, I'm like, okay, common sense. We do have to act then on the horse's greater behalf. Like if the horse yeah. is going to die in that situation, then it's the most humane choice for us to make, to make that horse get in the trailer or yes. to make that horse walk when it's colicking. At some point, you know, this goes back to, not everybody will be familiar with, but the humane hierarchy where you start off with the least, you know, you start off with addressing, I can't remember the exact order, but basically the, um, the health of the animal, the environment, all of that. Then you start going down the chain, you know, to positive reinforcement. Then you go down the chain to the, to the, um, negative reinforcement that, and then you might have to move down to all the way at the bottom, which is the positive punishment. But the idea is that you use the least invasive, least aversive, um, approach first to everything that you do. And unless the horse, it's more, it's less humane, you know, at some point it might be less humane to give the horse a choice because it's an emergency situation and you might then resort to more forceful methods in making the horse do something because it's more humane to save the horse's life than it is to let them die just because they said no. Yeah. I like that. Um, like, cause I think that idealism of it can, people can try to use it as an argument of like, well, you know, there's some times where you have to, and are you saying you're never, ever going to have to? And I, you know, no. I like that. It's like so much more, um, it, it's not like trying to, uh, like close our eyes to the realities of life mm-hmm. in any way. Oh, I'm a very real person. <laughs> very yeah. realist. I'm, I'm a super realist. Um, and that honestly, the whole <clears throat> idealist romantic, you know, I don't even know what unicorns, rainbows, all of that with Liberty training. I actually have a blog post about it, but it's all about like, you know, you see on Instagram, just the romantic pictures, which I love by the way, but I would look at them and just be like, yeah, right. Like that's Photoshopped or those people are just weird, like mythical people and everybody else is normal. (laughs) But I, I think that, um, but then the further I got into it, I realized that it's not so, mythical it's not so unrealistic and there are clearly going to be times where you can't give the horse a choice but i think that's way less often than we want to believe yeah you know in the beginning we want to think that every time we lead our horse out of the stall they don't have you know they can't possibly have a choice you know yes Um, yes that's that's not the case um i can i can teach a horse not just me anybody can teach their horse to lead patiently quietly safely next to them and the horse still in their mind feel they have a choice in that situation and they like we go back to what does the horse perceive about the situation most of the time I lead my horses to and from the pasture 
as if they're on halter and lead rope, but there's no halter and lead rope. And they do it exactly like every other normal horse does. Um, and they clearly have a choice. They can walk away and they can do whatever it is they want to do, but I've made it so that they really want to be there and they really feel that they can say no. So they say yes and saying yes means awesome, good stuff for them. <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't have to be this constant battle with the horses. The horses are not out to get us. <laughs> They're yeah. not out to, to be our worst enemies and to attack us. They're not as dangerous as we want to think they are. I actually had a, at least for me, it was really funny. Um, Insta story that I posted up and it was um, this character. It was on YouTube for some reason. And it was this person riding a T-Rex, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex with <laughs> saddle and a bit and a bridle and I was like I'm pretty sure most horse people think of their horses this way yeah. it, it was so funny to me I don't know why maybe it's just me and my crazy brain but when I'm working with people I feel like they think their horses are constantly out to get them that they're yeah. gonna come eat them all the time and I'm like relax it's okay. It's okay if your horse makes a mistake. It's okay if your horse walks a little too far ahead of you. It's okay. You know, maybe you don't want that long term, but in this moment, that's okay. We just have to put a little check mark that that's something we need to work on <laughs> and go back to it. Um, yeah. Like that fear too. I, cause I've, I've heard that mentality of like, you know, if your horse is walking in front of you, we, uh, we put all these things of what that means of the horse doesn't respect you or, you know, yeah. that then next time the horse is going to go crazy and try to be the boss. And, uh, you're going to be like, like, yeah, I feel like at the base of the fear, it's, you're going to be like done for. Cause like the horse is going to trample over you and take position as lead horse. And like, you know, all is going to, all hell will break loose and we won't be safe. And yeah, yeah that is one, just, thing, I, sorry. one thing I will say though, is that I think the reason that that idea came around. I think what started that is when you have a horse that has been severely or not even that severely, but has been suppressed. So mm -hmm. all of its training has been through pressure and punishment and it's never heard a yes in its life. It's heard, it's had constant, when it gets the right answer, it's only relief. So, you know, if it goes too far to the right, the lead rope stops and it brings it back. If it goes too far to the left, the lead rope stops and brings it back. If it goes too far back, you know, it gets yanked on. If it goes too far forward, it gets yanked back. So you think about it, that lead rope has become this no, 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 no. Like everywhere they go is a no, except for right next to you. And then there's this relief moment and we're in there right next to you. So this horse is living in a box and as it's walking next to you in a no box. Um, and it doesn't really know where the yes is. It just knows where punishment doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. It just knows where pressure doesn't happen. And so when a horse has lived its whole life like that, and I'm just using the lead rope example, but it's in every aspect of their training, when it's lived in that box, and then they're given to a person that's not willing to put that much pressure and punishment into it, so they're not going to correct them for every little thing they do, what can happen is, is that the horse, I... I got this term from somebody else, but they start unloading the baggage. So they start saying, you know, 
you're not going, this person's not punishing me or pressuring me anymore. Now I'm going to start venting all of this fear I've been suppressing and all of this frustration and all of this even anger sometimes, a rage emotion. They start venting it because all of a sudden this person isn't boxing them in anymore and they start on just dumping all of that on this person and i think that's where the if you let the horse go too far forward kind of thing then the next time they're going to explode well kind of yes because that horse may have been so boxed in and so suppressed that all of a sudden they're feeling like they can express themselves again and they really weren't walking quietly beside you because they felt safe there they were walking there because they felt they were afraid of doing anything else. And so um, I've had quite a few horses that have come to me. My mare tiger was that way where she was so suppressed. And then when I wasn't willing or didn't want to put that much pressure and punishment on her, it, she just kind of threw up everything on me. I do really love the, the, the thought of um, it being like, like kind of purging trauma Um, Yes, because it is. I use that term all the time, trauma and PTSD. I mean, people, we tend to kind of think of PTSD as a human thing. And I mean, it really did originally intend to be a human term, but, or um, yeah, label, but horses experience PTSD. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but PTSD is when we think of that, we think of having basically a relapse to a previous trauma. So something triggers the re- a similar response to the previous trauma. Well, I could go on a whole nother tangent about triggers and what can cause relapse um, in horses because you'll have a horse that's doing really, really well in training and then all of a sudden something will happen and it's like you've lost everything. And it's not all lost. It's just something triggered a relapse into previous experiences. But I won't go into that too deep because I know we've been talking since forever. Um, <laughs> but going back to the the box and then living in that suppressed box, that's their training. Their training has all been suppression and in um, pressure and punishment. And then all of a sudden you've got somebody who isn't going to apply as much pressure, even just a little bit less sometimes is enough for the horse to be like, okay, you're not going to be as scary. So I'm going to actually start venting what it is that I've been experiencing. And then that's when the horse starts to become dangerous and blow up. And you start, you get these situations where people buy horses that, or rescue horses that seemed fine before because they were in some sort of training program that really suppressed them down, you know, shut them down or learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they feel free or less threatened that they can start expressing a lot of this fear and trauma that they've previously experienced. So it's not that all of a sudden your horse is out to get you. It's not that all of a sudden the horse is dangerous and disrespects you and doesn't see you as a leader. It's that you're actually getting to meet your real horse and that you're getting to meet the real horse and you're getting to deal with everything that everybody else has suppressed and ignored and punished and pressured away um, or down into them. Um, and that can be really scary for people. It's very, it was very scary for me when I first started experiencing it, but now I'm more prepared for it. After years of experience, I expect it to some degree. I expect when I take on a horse, you know, I meet you know, the same horse on day one. 
and um, actually I have a term that I kind of refer to it as the great awakening <laughs> where <laughs> I all of a sudden this horse wakes up and all of a sudden I meet with a real horse and sometimes it's not pretty and sometimes I get just this is not the horse that people told me it was. This wasn't who he was a week ago, yesterday even. And, um, and sometimes it's an amazing transformation where the horse goes from just lethargic and closed up and just lifeless to this amazingly bright and open and eager animal. And sometimes it explodes into this fearful, you know, scared, terrified animal, and then transfers, you know, if the, if the therapy works right and the training works right into the open and eager and, and peaceful animal. So it really depends on what you're dealing with, but, um, yeah. So I think that's where that, that fear came from with, if you let your horse, if you give your horse an inch, they're going to go a mile kind of thing mm-hmm. with it. They're going to take advantage of you. It's not that they're taking advantage of you they're feeling a little bit more comfortable with expressing themselves and expressing what's going on. So that's kind of my working theory and that's what I've experienced. I, I, I've experienced this exact same thing, especially when you're working with like broken quote unquote yes. horses. Um, you know what I, it also makes me think of, um, I recently uh, picked up my horses or my friend's new horse. She's a Mustang um, from like this rescue and she was in the rescue because she was like told that or like labeled too much horse. So she was going to be sent to slaughter, which I think, you know, happens with Mustangs. Sometimes they're like, they don't give up, you know, they, and she's definitely like not going to submit to any pressure. Um, Mm. so getting her in the trailer, like it was one of those moments where the, um, you know, cause we're getting her from a rescue. The rescue owner is like, let me just like, you know, get her in the trailer for you with pressure and, uh, all, and then you can just take her home and do whatever you want. And we had the thought of like, is this one of those moments where, because we're rescuing her, is this a time where we like, just let the make. pressure happen and make it happen. Yeah. Um, and this horse was like a definite no. As soon as like the pressure came out, like her reaction to it was giant you know like she was Uh rearing and bucking and like it just at the slightest bit of pressure and so we had to like go back and then we're like okay we're going to do this all with choice like she's going to choose to get in because pressure is not even an option you know where we might have used it um otherwise in in that case it wouldn't you know if she ended up injuring herself because she was fighting it so hard that wouldn't have been the more humane choice even if it meant her getting in the trailer quicker because you were rescuing her. Yeah, exactly. And she would have, like she, she was at that place. Um, and it just wasn't going to happen. Like it was so clear, like from watching her, like with this horse pressure, wasn't going to be an option ever. I think even to, even if we were trying to like save her life, like if there was a fire, the pressure wouldn't have been. She'll take the fire. (laughs) Yeah. We'll like, we'll, we'll release you and let you go do your wild. Like you'll be safer that way. Um, but what we were really interested by, or what we kind of talked about on the way home, once she did get into the trailer and we were able to do it completely at Liberty, like really her choice, she like stepped in fully and, and we took away every, everything that could have been seen as pressure by her. Um, 
was how much the training was actually a little bit like trauma therapy. Like we weren't just working with, can she get in the trailer? We were working with her trauma of what it was like to be rounded up by the BLM and what trailers meant, you know? And I think this type of training also has a really, um, like, you know, she could have gone her whole life without getting in a trailer again. But I think there was something to her being able to choose the trailer and be less scared of it that was actually like healing in some way for her and her experience and now how she sees trailers. Not only that, but her trust in humans, mm-hmm. you know, by by just natural association with you guys being there and present, um, just the experience, having a positive experience around humans and the trailer would, you know, just the polar opposite of what she experienced before um, is just going to naturally in make an impact on the rest of what she does around humans, even if it has nothing to do with trailers in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Cause now she's like, cause when my friend first found her at the rescue, she wasn't a horse you could actually go up to. She was kind of like still wild. Like she, yeah. um, didn't, you could walk in and she was in this big herd and like, you wouldn't be able to get very close to her. And now like we barely do anything with her because we've been moving and and we've just basically had that trailer experience of like, um, working to bring her home and haven't mm-hmm. done much else, but she's so friendly. Like all she wants to do is like be engaged and it's kind of leaked into all areas. Yeah. That's amazing. That's kind of what brings me back to the original point that we talked about, which was just start with something, you know, something mm-hmm. small, let's work on a really you know, the trailering is a very practical application. You need your horse to trailer. Let's address it with choice and positive reinforcement. And then it'll start rolling into the rest of your relationship with the horse. It'll start, you know, um, I'm, I'm not going to promise that just because your horse gets in a trailer now, it's going to stand tied, but <laughs> you will start experiencing a difference and you'll naturally want to bring that into the rest of your relationship with your horse. And your horse will start noticing there's a difference in the way you're interacting with him or her. And that will start rolling over into how the horse views other situations. And so it just kind of, it starts the process. I tell people all the time, I'm like, be careful, you're going to get addicted. And then there's no (laughs) going back. Or I tell them, welcome to the dark side. Like it's it's a whole different world and it's so addicting. Um, So that's kind of, I think kind of sums it all up with what I do, which is let's just take a baby step. Let's lay a brick in the foundation and let's try something new. Let's try something less stressful, less forceful. Let's give your horse a choice and let's see how it goes. And I guarantee you, you're going to keep going, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I love it too, because it is also like, let's take stress off the human as well. Because so much of the training that like I experienced um, before kind of shaking things up, um, was stressful for me too. And, and the need to control everything, man, that's like, I know that's that's hard. Um, yeah, no, I have very distinct, I loved working with horses before I loved, I've loved horses since I was a baby basically, but, um, There's something very different about working with horses now than before. I don't, 
even though I would have never told you this before because I would have never recognized it, not that I was trying to keep it to myself, but I just never even realized this was what was going on until I experienced something different. But before it was, everything was such a battle for, you know, it was such a battle of me trying to control this very large animal and make it do what I wanted. And now I don't have to make the horse do anything. Actually, I had that conversation with somebody the other day. They're like, I'm concerned because my horse is so big. What happens if she does this or that? I'm like, it doesn't really matter because I'm not going to make her do anything. She's going to do it all on her own. She's going to want to do it. So it doesn't matter how big she is. She could be as big as an elephant. And it doesn't matter because it's her choice. And it just makes a huge difference in how we interact with them and the relationship. Uh, yeah, it makes all the difference. Um, man, I love everything you have said. I, I, I love this episode. I'm like, I, I'm going to be re-listening to it just for, just cause it's like inspiring to me. Um, thank you so, so much for being on yeah. and for, uh, yeah, for like sharing all that you have and your story and your like insane insight. So if people want to find you and they do want to work with you or or just honestly learn from your Instagram because there's so much to learn there. Where can they look you up? Um, so I guess a good place to start is my website, which is, you know, www.thewillingequine.com. And then from there, there's a bunch of links to my blog and Facebook and Instagram. And I think there's even a Twitter one on there, but I don't ever do Twitter. So you probably don't even, shouldn't even look at that. But, <laughs> um, and so then Instagram is what you're going to find the most resources on other than my website, which has the blog and everything. Um, I do, if they, if you're interested in working with me long distance through like video coaching, then just uh, contact me by email. There's email link on my website. Um, and if you're looking for just some one time kind of, advice or help or just some support um there's a there's a it's my website uh slash training and it's on there there's there's information on how to contact me for some training support but really i just try and you know you can message me through social media you can email me um and, you know, I, I train people locally, too. So if you happen to live in the central Texas area, feel free to hit me up. But um, and I have been doing clinic or I've done one clinic and I hope to be hope to be doing more in the future. I just haven't scheduled those yet, but definitely stay tuned for those as well. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I definitely recommend everyone should go check out all of that. Um, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's it honestly so many good resources, and that is my dog being. I need I need to get my uh, podcast space set up. I'm like, this room is kind of echoey, and uh, I'm constantly recording in different places, and my dog is right outside. Um, but hey, you know we gotta do the best with what we got. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully soon, like it, it'll be set up and and uh, the crystal clear audio coming up. Um, but anyway, I am, uh, I'm just so, so happy to have talked to you and everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really want to say I'm so appreciative of all the feedback I've been getting recently and of everyone who's been downloading and listening and writing reviews. It's, 
so incredible. So thank you all so much. And uh, you will, or I will see you guys, or kind of, next week with a brand new episode. Thank you.